0: Welcome to the Vincentian Heritage Podcast, a selection of readings on Vincentian history, spirituality, and praxis to help sustain the members of the Vincentian family in our shared efforts to live out the mission, vision, and values of St. Vincent de Paul. This episode's reading is entitled St. Vincent and Sustainability, published in 2013. It is read by the author, Scott Kelly.
1: There are many different forms of prayer in the Catholic tradition, and I will use one form, a colloquy, to frame my talk about St. Vincent and sustainability. A colloquy is an imagined conversation. If I imagine myself sitting with Vincent de Paul a few days before his death on September 27, 1660, I would ask him what wisdom he has for our current sustainability challenges. I would have to explain what I mean by our current sustainability challenges. Because it is certainly not a phrase familiar to him. He couldn't possibly know about human caused climate change as he lived before the Industrial Revolution. He couldn't possibly know about the Earth's carrying capacity because the Earth he knew was a vast expanse. In fact, Ferdinand Magellan's first venture around the globe happened in 1519, a few short decades before Vincent was born. In a nutshell, here's what I would explain the entire planet is on a very dangerous trajectory and may soon approach its carrying capacity. If our problems are left unattended or unaddressed, it is likely, in the span of a few decades, that we may see the collapse of some or many of the systems we have grown completely dependent upon. That's how I would begin. I need to get his attention after all so he doesn't doze off. I would use a very basic equation to explain the concept of Earth's carrying capacity. I equals P-A-T, where I stands for ecological impact, A stands for affluence or economic growth, and T stands for technological innovation. Then I would walk through each one of the challenges, beginning with population The human population has been in a dynamic of exponential growth over the last two centuries. It took just about all of human history to reach one billion people in the middle of the 18th century. In St. Vincent's time, there were about one billion people living on the earth. Recent projections indicate the human population could reach 10 billion before the end of the century. If I could, I would show him a fancy chart like the one from the New York Times not long ago that showed how previous population projections were quite a bit off. The human population is growing much faster than what was previously predicted. When people ask the ecologist Lester Brown how many people the Earth can support, he responds with another question. At what level of food consumption? Taking into consideration all of the resources that go into food production— He explains that the Earth could handle about 2.5 billion if everyone had an American diet, about 5 billion following an Italian diet, and about 10 billion if people ate like they were from India. Many of our sustainability challenges, however, have a much shorter time frame than the end of the century. As John Beddington, chief science advisor to the British government, argues, we face a perfect storm of food shortages, water scarcity, and costly oil by 2030. That's not too far off. People have trouble grasping the dynamics of exponential growth. The French use a riddle to teach the concept to school children. Imagine a lily pond has one leaf in it the first day, two the second, four the third, and the number of leaves continues to double each day. If the pond fills on the 30th day, When is it half full? It is half full on the 29th day. The pattern of exponential growth is troubling to ecologists because ecosystems can be overwhelmed suddenly, irreversibly, and in some instances the results can be catastrophic, at least for the species that is growing exponentially. Mother Nature always wins in the end. The sustainability challenge is not merely a problem of population, however. It is a combination of factors. Population growth also correlates to profound economic activity, which creates a great paradox, and is perhaps the crux of our challenge. In one sense, explosive population growth over the last two centuries indicates some very positive developments. Today's average lifespan in many parts of the world is about double what it was in the time of St. Vincent. On the one hand, the current sustainability challenges are indicative of human flourishing when compared to the rest of human history, particularly the time of Vincent. On the other hand, however, this growth poses two problems. The Earth has a limited caring capacity, it can only support so many people. In addition, Not all regions of the world have developed at the same pace. There are stark contrasts between a sizable majority that lives on less than $2 per day and a much wealthier minority. There is a problem of total capacity, and there is a problem of unequal capacity. Many projections of economic growth show the global economy expanding by 3% a year, which means the 2010 economy could double in size by 2035 Many wonder how this growth can occur in a global economic system that is shrinking the earth's forests, eroding soils, depleting aquifers, collapsing fisheries, elevating temperature, and melting ice sheets. And so the paradox. Humanity must increase the consumption levels of the world's poor while at the same time reducing humanity's total ecological footprint. There must be technological advance and personal change and longer planning horizons. The solutions to this paradox will require a radical rethinking of human flourishing, especially for those of us who live at the top of the economic pyramid.
0: DePaul University has thousands of Incension articles available for download absolutely free. These articles include entire biographies of Vincent de Paul by Pierre Coste and Louis Abelie, 12 volumes of correspondence, conferences, and documents of Vincent de Paul in both French and English versions, and 27 past volumes of the Vincentian Heritage Journal. Visit the institutional repository on the web at via.library.depaul.edu. Global poverty
1: poses real and direct threats to everyone in the human community. Low-income states provide safe haven for terrorists and international crime syndicates because they do not have adequate police, military, judicial, or financial systems to combat them. Failing states do not have the health infrastructure to curb the spread of communicable diseases, which can have significant impacts on the global economy as the threat of SARS and H1N1 made clear. Failing states do not have the resources to prevent environmental degradation, where stocks of natural capital are depleted beyond restoration to the detriment of the global community. Think here of the ongoing deforestation of the Amazon. This covers the P and A of the IPAT equation. A few words on technology. There is no doubt that technological innovation can lower our ecological footprint. Solar panels and wind turbines can create energy with a much smaller ecological footprint than fossil fuels. However, technology alone cannot solve our problems. And then I would explain climate change, the planetary byproduct of an economy that is utterly dependent on fossil fuels, a trend that began long after Vincent died. I would explain how fossil fuels release carbon into the atmosphere, which acts like a greenhouse and warms the planet. I would explain that the problem of sea level rise is already upon us. It is no longer a distant, remote, or uncertain problem. I would tell Vincent about the people who live on the outer atolls of the state of Chuk in the Federated States of Micronesia. Right now, they are being permanently displaced by sea level rise. I would use the term environmental refugees to describe the plight of the Micronesians and how it is likely that millions more will be displaced in low-lying areas of Bangladesh and China as sea level rise continues. At this point, I would listen to Vincent de Paul. He has been very gracious, allowing me to vent my anxieties to him. St. Vincent responds to my questions by talking about the kingdom of God, His vision of a sustainable community. I imagine him repeating what he said in chapter 2 of the Rules of the Congregation of the Mission Christ said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his justice, and all these things which you need will be given to you. The passage he references comes from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 33. In the immediate context of the surrounding passages, all these things means the material, social, and spiritual resources we need, individually and collectively, to live a flourishing life. Vincent cared a great deal about the language and concepts that shape our moral imagination. Since moral imagination is significantly shaped by language, the way we describe the challenges we see is just as important as what we do to address them. For example, the Revenue Act of 1916 established what was often referred to as the estate tax. This was the case for decades until its opponents gave it a makeover in the 90s and it became the reviled death tax. You can imagine the effect this had on public opinion, on the U.S. tax code, and on our nation's debt. For this particular tax or against it, we must understand that language matters a great deal in shaping how we see the world. Vincent seemed to know this quite well, which is why he constantly referred to Christ, his vision of the human ideal. It should be no surprise that a Roman Catholic priest found Christ to be a vision of the human ideal. What is remarkable, however, is that Vincent's understanding of Christ was unique when compared to many of his contemporaries. He did not see Christ primarily as a teacher, a healer, or a perfect adorer of God the Father. Rather, Vincent saw Christ as a person sent to bring the good news of the kingdom to all, but particularly the poor. Christ had a mission, and this mission was his source of ultimate meaning. The motto of the Congregation of the Mission, which was adopted well after the death of Vincent, captures this commitment nicely. Evangelizare pauperibus misit me. Mi. He has sent me to be good news for the poor. But how can we be good news for the poor in light of our current predicament? Five small thoughts on how we might be good news. First, we shouldn't misinterpret the meaning of the motto. We don't have the answers. We can't helicopter in our big ideas and dump them on the poor, no matter how sincerely we believe them to be good. We have tried this approach for decades, and it has failed miserably. It always will. We are not the experts, because most of us do not currently or have never lived in extreme poverty. Our task, therefore, is not to save the poor, but to use our extraordinary privilege To build a global community that is marked by all categories of justice commutative, distributive, social, economic, environmental, and intergenerational. Second, we could be very good news for the poor if we could evangelize our materials economy so that our current patterns of extraction, production, distribution, consumption, and disposal would actually build sustainable communities rather than destroy them. We can do this through the ways we participate in the global economy as consumers, as investors, as entrepreneurs, as teachers, as CEOs. Third, we can drastically reduce our ecological footprint. One of the least popular virtues Vincent talks about, at least by today's standards, is the virtue of mortification. We need to actively confront the myths, flawed assumptions, and biases that we internalize unintentionally from a contemporary culture that is, in many respects, driven by the myth of consumerism, that our fulfillment lies in ownership. To be clear, consumption in itself is not inherently problematic, but consumerism, like all isms, poses a planetary and humanitarian challenge. We must find meaning that transcends the fickle and irrational fluctuations of the market. Fourth, we can be good news to the poor by bothering to understand what life is like for the four billion people who live on less than $2 per day. We can allow this understanding to shape how we participate in democracy. If we have the privilege of voting in the United States, we should imagine bringing 10 poor people and an acre of forest with us into the voting booth. We vote on behalf of the global poor and on behalf of the planet. Fifth, we do this work in community. It is a congregatio of the mission, a community gathered together for this purpose. With the insights from my colloquy with Vincent de Paul, I leave the conversation feeling challenged but hopeful. More than anything, Vincent de Paul reminds me that the solution to our sustainability challenges must come from our shared mission to reduce the suffering of those who live in poverty.
0: Thanks for joining us for this episode of Incention Heritage Podcast. If you have any questions, please send them to mission.depaul at gmail.com. Be sure to check out all the other Vincentian family resources on our website, mission.depaul.edu.